0: Today's Animal Spirits Talk Your Book is brought to you by CraneShares. Go to craneshares.com to learn about KBA, the MSCI China 50 Index ETF we're going to be talking about today. And also go to their mailing list, China Last Night, to enjoy either daily or weekly news all about China.
1: Welcome to Animal Spirits, a show about markets, life and investing. Join Michael Batnick and Ben Carlson as they talk about what they're reading, writing and watching. China, I remember one of the first blog posts that I did on the stock market does not equal the economy was a post or a research piece from Vanguard that I copied and pasted into my own showing like a scatter plot of GDP and stock market performance. And if there's any sort of like economic linkage, I feel like China breaks the rule because the GDP has gone up like 6% a year. Or well, I made up that number. I, sorry, I don't know why I made that up. I think it's, it's like nine percent
0: a, a year. 8 9, okay.
1: And what has the stock market
0: done over the long haul? Since 1993, it's up 1% a year, 33% in total. Also, I think I did that same exact blog post early in my blog post days. It's still that same chart from Vanguard. So It's a rite of passage. Yeah, you have to do it. Stock market is not the economy, especially in China. It's done a lot better in the last 10, 15, 20 years than it has over the last 30 years, but it's an emerging marketer. It was for a while still. It's the kind of country that if you think about what it is and how it works, it kind of boggles the mind that they just kind of have these people who are pulling different strings and levers, and they can make stuff happen very quickly if they want. Brendan gave us a stat
1: on the show talking about the scope or size, vastness, if you will, of physical China. They have 128 cities with over a million residents for reference. The United States has about 28.
0: I was impressed when you asked him about that, the US, that he had that stat too. He had the follow-up. Was yeah, impressive. he's got stats. Isn't it funny though? I can remember seeing the presentations in 2008, 2009, 2010 of the ghost cities in China. That was a big bearish thing back in the day for the double-dipper China China's building the, and you'd see the pictures and it's these huge skyscrapers. Yeah, whatever
1: happened to those cities? Did they ever get filled up? I feel like Vice did like a million specials on them.
0: There was a lot of that. And I don't know. You don't get the follow-up. You get the initial bearish seed planted, and then what?
1: Damn it. We should have asked Brendan. There was so much to talk about. We also didn't well, really talk about it. He
0: mentioned it in our talk with him. He said, guess what? A lot of that gap has been filled. There are these ghost cities built, and then cities keep expanding and expanding and expanding, and eventually it happens where it becomes part of a suburb.
1: So on today's show, we spoke about the Chinese market.
0: <laughs> that was so funny. not <laughs> 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 well, we're
1: like struggling
0: for... So no, you, say- you missed it when he said it, and then you just skipped uh. over when I said it. <laughs> and you just chose to ignore both of us. It's okay.
1: Uh. All right. So with no further ado, let's not step on too much of the material. Here is our conversation with Brendan Ahern from Craneshares. We're joined today by Brendan Ahern. Brendan is the CIO of Craneshares. Brendan, thank you for coming on today.
2: Thank you so much, Michael. Great to see you as well as Ben.
1: So we've spoken about crane shares over the week as like I guess a reference point for what's going on in China specifically. We tend to talk a lot about K Web, the internet fund. But today we're gonna to talk about a different one, another Chinese fund, which we'll get to in a second. But before we do, can you give us an update? Because you write a nightly newsletter called what's it called? Something about in China? Last night in China? No, China Last night.com. China last night. All right, close enough. So there is a lot happening in that side of the
2: world right now. Can you give us the latest? Ultimately, you've got almost two different definitions of China. You've got onshore China, which is the Shanghai and Shenzhen market, which is 95% owned by investors in China, and is more reflective of what do the Chinese think about China? And we can kind of contrast that with the offshore market, the Hong Kong, US-listed ADRs, kind of like the K-Web names, I'm sorry, I'm a chronic interrupter, but I think this is important before we get too far field. What is the difference between the Shanghai and the Shenzhen? So, the Shanghai is mega cap and large caps, almost like the new I'd call it like the New York Stock Exchange, more established companies, larger companies and mainly state-owned enterprises, so companies that have some level of government affiliation. Versus the Shenzhen exchange is more the private companies. There are some large cap companies there, but mainly mid and small cap names, more private companies, companies with no affiliation with the government. Think about Shanghai, more value versus more Shenzhen, more growth names. And the New York Stock Exchange would hate to be considered value, but back in the day, it was more value names where NASDAQ was more growth names. So it's kind of a similar comparison. All right. So go on. So ultimately, on the offshore market, I think what foreigners are worried about is a whole litany of issues. I don't know if we have if an hour we can cover them all, <laughs> but you've got the zero COVID policy, which you know we kind of say is the in China, they call it the lives first policy, which is very simply that only 20 percent of 80 year olds in China have gotten three vaccines for 70 to 80. It's just about 50 percent. And for Over 60 to 69 demographic, it's about 56%. So why China has this zero COVID policy is just, you take a thing like Omicron, it would kill almost 2 million Chinese. The key is that post-Shanghai, we've not seen a citywide lockdown. And I think that's very simply driven by the economic consequence of the Shanghai lockdown has led to them saying, We just can't go through that economically. So you're seeing individual buildings can get locked down. Apartment complexes can get locked down. We're not seeing anything like what we saw with Shanghai.
0: If you look at the MSCI indexes, they have all the country ones. And I've seen China's used in a ton of examples of stocks versus the economy. So I think the China one goes back to like 1993. And if you look at that, the total return is like 30% or something. It's like 1% a year. I think a lot of that was like the '90s were just really, really bad, and it's probably been better this century. But what are some of the reasons that those returns are just so awful over thirty-year period? Versus, like, how are things are different going forward? Maybe
2: it's a great observation, and it's not inaccurate. People will say China, similar to EM, is out of favor, and I pull this up every day. But so since the GFC low, March 9th of '09, the S and P five hundred is up 215% and MSCI emerging markets is up 199 and MSCI China is up 163. So people would say, oh, it's out of favor. I would argue, Ben, that if we went back 13 years ago and looked at the two indices, they were basically value indices, that it was all financials, energy, industrials, materials, and real estate. And we went into this growth geared market. And that was true in the US, but it was true globally. And so part of what we've tried to do at CraneShares is to say, if you want this growth part of China or EM, you got to go out and buy it because it's such a small part of these broader indices. So just to kind of prove that out again, so S&P 715, EM 199, MSCI China 163. What are those numbers? Those are percent returns from March 9th, 09, the GFC low up until Friday the 19th. Okay. Because yeah, as I said, the numbers
1: that you gave just a second ago didn't seem right. The 200% were up way more than that.
2: Uh, so S&P 500 is up 715. Okay. But MSCI Emerging Markets is up 199, MSCI China up 163. So what's a gross sector? Okay, so tech. So MSCI EM tech, is up 816%, and MSCI China Tech is up 2,127%. But what if you missed the low? (laughs) If we did it over any time period over the last decade, if you owned Growth EM or Growth China, you did very well up until about two years ago,
0: It seems like that's a story everywhere outside of the U.S. European stocks and developed stocks, foreign developed, anything. It was just more of a value tilt, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's... People will always talk about the COSPI, the definition of South Korea, but they have a thing called the COSDAC. And the COSPI didn't do anything for 10 years while the COSDAC did nothing but go up. So this value versus growth is... It's not just a U.S. phenomenon. It really has been a global phenomenon. And you have these benchmarks that are all value. And then you have this growth outperformance. And of course, the market does what's least expected. Energy prices, commodity prices go up, and the benchmarks have little exposure to that. In some ways, it's just very typical or predictable in some ways.
1: Brendan, I saw a tweet over the weekend. Sichuan province just announced to shut down all industrial production for five full days due to electricity
2: shortage. You know about this? Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Sichuan province, I mean, they've got some good companies, industrial companies. What will shock people is 80% of that province's electricity is hydro. And so you have this crazy heat wave in China, and this province gets all of its, virtually all of its energy from hydroelectrical dams. Heat wave equals drought, means no
0: electricity. Michael, you asking the China expert if he's heard of this? is kind of like someone asking you if you saw a horrible horror movie last weekend. Of course. <laughs> of course he's heard of it. No.
2: <laughs> well, hopefully. Hopefully that's some sort of job security. They've had a bad heat wave. Very similar to what we've seen in Europe, actually in parts of the United States. And it's interesting. Some states like Vermont, very dependent upon hydro. And
0: so if you get a heat wave, which leads to a drought, you got a big problem. Getting back to the growth value stuff real quick. Does that mean that a lot of these EM indices are now way more growthy because these are stocks that have outperformed in the last decade?
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's exactly it, Ben. Part of it was MSCI didn't add US-listed China ADRs like Alibaba until the end of 2015 and 2016. So IEMG or EEM didn't hold Alibaba until December of 2015. And then again, in I think it was June of 2016, it was a two stage inclusion. FTSE, if you own VWO, they didn't own, they did 2016, 2017 inclusion of US listed China ADRs. So it's if you bought the blob, you didn't actually own one of the largest companies in the EM universe because it wasn't part of the indices.
1: All right, we're going to get into the A shares in a minute, but I can't let this go without talking co-op for a second because I'm looking at the return chart or the price chart since inception. And this is a wild one. I mean, this really is a wild one. If you zoom back to 2020 and the run up that it had with all of these giants, primarily driven by Tencent, Baidu, Baba, JD, those names, it almost seemed like last year the government, not almost, it was very explicit that the government was going after these companies. And it was just from... The US centric point of view, kind of amazing to watch the government seemingly turn on these companies. Can you explain to us what exactly was the motivation for nuking these companies
2: and where we are today? Are we on the other side? Like what's going on? Part of the run-up and then part of the meltdown was Archer You've got this US hedge fund is levered up 10X or whatever five of their 10 names were U.S.-China ADRs. And so they were in Tencent Music, which went from like 10 to 30. And you're just like, what? And then people be like, well, how does that affect? But because of relative valuation, it affects the whole space. And then when they got liquidated, those names got sold out at 50% where they had closed previously. So some of this was archa But then, yeah. So then the China internet regulation, I think it was... Part of where, as an outsider, you'd be like, well, they're trying to kill the tech companies. But I think what they were saying is that the multifaceted nature of it, where you had multiple regulators moving at different speeds, it was almost like they were like a -a whack-a-mole. Like every week, it was one name. It was Alibaba one week and then Tencent the next. And you had the companies, it was kind of an anti-monopoly type of, some of it was anti-monopolies, some of this was anti-competitive rules. Alibaba just started advertising on 10 cents social media platform for the first time because they weren't allowed. Alibaba wouldn't accept 10 cents mobile payments. So these moats around the companies have come down, and I think it was how they did it. The lack of transparency and communication pushed a lot of investors out of these names. Just said, if I don't understand what's going on, I'll just
0: kick it to the curb. I'll just get out of it. Is there any? Hope for investors in these companies that the government is going to reverse course? From what we've seen, we're not really
2: concerned about China internet regulation, that we think it's been recognized how they went about it was poorly done. There's multiple data points to say that on the China internet regulation side, we're, the worst is behind us. We're probably a little more concerned about US regulations in terms of the potential delisting where we've taken this law that did pass very seriously the holding foreign companies accountable act and we've converted a lot of Kweb into out of the US ADRs because of the potential delisting risk which we think will get avoided you just don't know if it gets solved at 11:59 and as a fiduciary you're not going to take that risk. So
1: maybe this is a good opportunity to segue to the Crane Shares, Bocera, MSCI, China, A50 Connect Index, By that rolls right off the tongue. <laughs> <laughs> the, ticker, the ticker is KBA. So you mentioned the Holding Foreign Countries Accountable Act, which requires foreign listed companies. It makes them open up their books for audit approval by US regulators, which seems kind of normal, but there's a lot of resistance on, I don't know if it's a government or these companies or whatever. So part of the fear of investors, and I feel like this flares up in the headlines once every six weeks, is that some of these ADRs are going to get delisted. What are the chances of that happening? And in English, what does that actually mean for people that are investing in BABA? We've moved. I don't know why I just said BABA.
0: <laughs> yeah, Baba. <laughs> <laughs> Did I <have> spell it, Michael? <laughs>
2: We've moved. I mean, we don't hold Alibaba US anymore we old nine nine eight eight HK, the Hong Kong. So I think this does get resolved because I think it's a solvable issue. Yes, China should allow the companies, and it's really the company's auditors to allow an audit review.
1: Is it China saying no, you will not. Okay, but why? Why not just be
2: transparent? I mean, I think I know why, but you tell us. It's because amongst the 273 names, a US listed China names, you have a small number of state-owned enterprises. So if you think about what's an audit review, well, it's like, what are the inputs and outputs to the balance sheet, to the net income statement? If you're a private company, what do you care? You got nothing to hide. If you're a state-owned enterprise, maybe that is problematic because maybe you're getting subsidies. So we actually think recently it was announced five ADRs will delist from the New York Stock Exchange. They all are state-owned enterprises. So if the SOEs go away, wouldn't that allow the private companies to adhere to this global standard? Like I would say yes. I mean, out of 273 names, the five names that say they're going to delist, all are SOEs. Five for five out of 273, like statistically. What are the ramifications of a delisting both for the investor and for the company? It's hard. I think that's the hard part is we don't know exactly how. I mean, we have a little time. The delisting wouldn't actually probably take place until 2024. There was a movement to try to shorten the window, which thankfully wasn't included. Congress didn't take up on it. But ultimately, a delisting could mean that it's a zero. HFCAA was written that the companies can't trade over the counter. They can't go to the pink sheets. So the companies, small companies would take themselves private. The big companies could push through that many of them have relisted in Hong Kong. So they could just do a forced conversion into the Hong Kong share classes. And I think that's something that why again it goes through it would be very kind of messy. And I think ultimately this is a very solvable issue. This is not a hard one. So what's the solution? Well ultimately the SOEs listed in the US go away and then the private companies are allowed to adhere to this global standard. There's no reason that they shouldn't be allowed to. Alibaba's old CFO She used to always say, like, we have nothing to hide. On their board, actually, they just hired the head of Ernst & Young. I think it was Ernst & Young, China. He's actually on their board.
0: (laughs) If that happened, how many US funds are we talking about here that would be impacted? Are there a ton of funds that have exposure to these stocks that would be hurt in a big way?
2: Institutional asset managers, mutual funds, it's very... For us, when we convert it, you simply tell your custodian you want to convert. They contact the ADR custodial bank and it's literally a book entry. It's like, okay, instead of holding BABA US, you own Alibaba Hong Kong. Also, oh, it wasn't
0: that hard of a project for you?
2: No, oh, I mean, it was very, very easy to do. It's a tax-free conversion. The ADR custody bank will charge you like four or five cents a share. The issue is more of not all US investors want to or can hold a Hong Kong share class. So think about like, The QQQ owns Badu, JD, and Netties. The NASDAQ 100 isn't going to convert. They're going to be forced to sell those three stocks. It's not a huge position. But think about all different RIAs or family offices or individual investors who maybe can't convert. Not all U.S. broker-dealers, not all custodians allow a for ADR conversion. That's the problem. That's why we've advocated that the window shouldn't get shortened just because there's an operations element that hasn't been figured out.
1: Brendan, does shares have a voice at all? Like, are you guys talking to Chinese regulators about some sort of, like,
2: voice for U.S. securities, for lack of a better word? We've done both sides, as well as we've spent a lot of time in Washington, D.C., trying to explain to Congress that this bill doesn't hurt China. The Chinese government doesn't hold these stocks. U.S. investors do. Why would you put $2 trillion of U.S. investors' savings at risk? When you say $2 trillion, what do you mean by that? That's the aggregate market cap of the 273 names. So this bill was done to hurt China, but or the Chinese government. But Chinese government doesn't hold these stocks. U.S. investors do.
1: What do the regulators say when you say that to
2: them? They would say, well, A, this law was passed by Congress and signed by an outgoing president. So the SEC is simply the enforcement agency. It's, it's not their opinion to opine on HFC. They're the enforcement agent. Gary Gensler has no choice but to enforce it. This was done simply by Congress. And the other argument is, well, these companies were allowed to list here. It's not like they snuck on the exchange. Every one of these companies was approved to list here knowing they couldn't adhere to Sarbanes-Oxley, which was passed back in 2003. So this is more of just law was passed to basically force the Chinese government to do something. And I'm just like, man, my kids tell me all the time they don't like to be told what to do. That's the risk.
0: The thing about China to me that always kind of blows my mind is how big it is and how it seems like they can kind of pull these levers and make things happen very quickly. So you understanding the situation better than me. If China really said, you know, we want to make the stock market at the forefront of our economy, kind of like it is in USA, do they have the levers they could pull that would say like we want the stock market to go up a lot? They could do that potentially.
2: Well, sort of, sort of. I mean, it'd be like no different than like a J Pal or trying to jawbone the market. There are government investment entities like they have a social security fund, so. Back in the summer of 2015, when the market, the mainland market, performed very poorly, they increased the equity allocation of the Social Security Fund. They lowered or increased the equity allocation for insurance companies' general accounts. So they do have a few sovereign wealth funds that can buy equities, but these markets Shanghai, Shenzhen, taken together is the second largest stock market in the world behind the US. So even though they've got a lot of money, it's small relative to the size. It's a $14, $15 trillion market cap in mainland China.
1: Why is the GDP of China relative to the overall pie of the globe so much larger than the stock market presence?
2: It's driven partially by China has a socialist element to the country, but their safety net in terms of social security is much smaller than here in the US. If you get fired and lose your job, unemployment insurance, it's small. But so the Chinese citizens are really responsible for their own retirement. And therefore, they have been very conservative with how they invest and because of the higher yields historically available in China most of it goes into bank accounts and the bond market a bigger piece goes into real estate and then the what's left over kind of goes into the stock market now that percentage of stock market savings is increasing but part of it has been in real estate it's i grew up with family in Denver and like if you've followed Denver For 20 years, it's like mind-blowing, where just the city, like, I mean, from Stapleton Airport to now there's DIA and Denver International is out in the middle of nowhere, and now the city goes all the way out. I remember as a kid, we went to see a Colorado Buffalo football game, and between Denver and Boulder, it was farmland. And now it's a suburb the whole way, but that's Chinese cities.
1: Wait, hold on. I missed this. Which province is Denver in?
2: (laughs) Yeah. Well, just that these cities get bigger and bigger and bigger. So in China, in 1980, 20% of people lived in cities. Now it's closer to 70%. So if you think about a city just getting bigger and bigger, you're like, oh, like I'm just going to buy, I'm going to build a building knowing the city's going to, that was kind of the misnomer of the ghost city was like these cities just get bigger and bigger. So it's been a one-way trade. And how many like Manhattan sized cities are there in China? There's 130 cities that have more than a million people. What's that for comparison to the United States? 28 kind of geographic areas. Mm. Okay. Wow. The city of San Francisco is like 800,000 people. The Bay Area is 15 million or something. I kind of use the geographic area as opposed to city.
0: If we're looking at the difference between KWEB and KBA, my way of thinking about it is KWEB is to the NASDAQ 100 as KBA is to the S&P 500. Am I looking at this right or not? Do you mind repeating that, Ben? I'm thinking KWEB is kind of like the Chinese version of the Nasdaq 100, and KBA is a version of more like the S and P 500. Is that the right way of thinking about it?
2: I would say so. Yeah, that within KBA you have a growth element. So one of the largest EV battery maker in the world, CATL, which will be reporting earnings very shortly, they make batteries for everybody. Tesla, Chinese EV makers, is listed on the Shenzhen but it's a large cap company. So it's within KBA.
1: Brother, make the case for A shares. What's going on here? What do investors need to
2: know? I think it's part of what's really weighed on this disparity between what foreigners think about China and what do people in China think about China. And the Chinese historically are far less pessimistic. And it's not that they don't have access to Western media, which is this kind of constant negative media barrage. It's more they just don't buy into it, that they would say the things that really matter are government policy. And right now you have China is in an easing cycle. they cut the loan prime rate. They've cut the intrabank lending rate. They're easing because they recognize that the economy needs support. And that's a great tailwind for investors. It also, for investors in China, as interest rates drop, the greatest bull market in government treasuries globally right now is in China. Like I I might be the only person in the planet that we have a KBND. We have a China government bond, things in Fuego that Chinese treasuries have rallied pretty significantly as they ease.
1: Why are they so disconnected from the rest of the world? It feels like there's like a global central bank coordination with the world and then China's on its own island.
2: It's just more than China, the economy rebound. This is where China is almost like a year ahead of everybody else. They got COVID first, they came out of it first. And now they've got this little bit of a slump kind of post that economic rebound. And some of this is driven by what's happening in real estate. So the government is incrementally adding support. And I think if you think about yourself, with free stimulus money from central banks globally, like we went out and bought stuff. And a lot of that stuff was made in China. I wonder if my tropical bro shirts are made in China. Most clothing, (sighs) low-end clothing, not to point the finger at your... (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Low-end clothing has moved out It's because China's gotten too expensive. All right. We might have glossed over
1: the fact or taken for granted that people have any idea what we're talking about when we say A-shares. What are A-shares and how difficult or easy was it for you to
2: access that market? And tell us how you're doing it. Candidly, like part of why I quit my job to come to Crane Shares, to be part of making John Crane's vision investable was... I had this kind of passive background. I've worked for iShares for many years. And so John had been in China and saw how new China economic sectors were coming about. And that was K-Webb. But then he saw living in China, how they were opening up to foreign investors. And so when I met John in 2012, he simply said, you've got this Shanghai Shenzhen market. It's not owned by any foreign investors, but these reforms are going to allow this market to be owned by foreign investors. So I thought about it just from a passive investor's perspective, which is if you've got the second largest stock market in the world and they're giving this access, then it can get added to indices. And if you think about this happened with Tesla and the S&P 500, what happened before Tesla got added to the S&P 500? You're like, oh my gosh, SPY, IVV, VOO have to buy it. Like, why wouldn't I just buy it before them? And that's kind of what I thought about this, what became KBA, was if we can create MSCI's definition of this Shanghai Shenzhen market in advance of it being added to indices, that's a no brainer. So MSCI dictates 15 trillion of active and passive assets. About 1.5 trillion is EM. And the stocks in KBA would be about 20% of MSCI emerging markets. So 20%, 1.5 trillion to about 300 billion of inflow. That was my thought, was that you had these stocks that weren't part of a major, major index could
0: go into them.
1: That's because the A shares were only available to Chinese investors? Correct.
0: Correct. So where are we on the timeline of that then? Is there any action happening then? In 2019, MSCI announced
2: that they would add the Chinese A shares to their indices, including EM, but they only were gonna add 20% of their potential weight. So if you look at MSCI China today, it's like 700 stocks. 500 of them are Chinese A shares that make up 8% of the fund. And so you would say you have 80% to go. And I think because of the trade war and tech war, there's some other reasons why MSCI hasn't added them kind of technical stuff. But I think they've stopped this inclusion. So we're only 20% there.
1: Brendan, I know you don't have full transparency into who the holder of these products are, but any sense of the demographic makeup of your investors? Is that family office? Is it RAAs?
2: It's all of the above. I mean, I would say getting access to these names or getting access to Alibaba in Hong Kong, that's why people are hiring us. So that could be RIAs, it could be wealth management firms. It is institutional. It's pension plans. We've got a big pension plan that they own KBA because they don't want to go through the rigmarole of getting access into mainland China. They're just like, hey, with one, just type KBA. And you've got access to these stocks in Shanghai, Shenzhen versus trying to operationally get access. So it's- Why futures? We need to hold the physical stocks. Oh, all right. So delete that question. What's interesting about it, Michael, is that MSCI historically said, and when they did the 20% inclusion into MSCI emerging markets, MSCI China, these stocks we hold in KBA, they then said, well, there's three things we want before we'll- get this inclusion going again. And one was to get an MSCI China A futures listed in Hong Kong. That actually just happened almost a year ago. It happened in the fall of 2021. And Two, they said, well, Hong Kong has a different holiday schedule than mainland China. So that limits the number of days to be able to get your money into and out. And they just said that they changed those rules. That happened a week ago. The third issue for MSCI on why they stopped this inclusion, and again, two out of three are done, is Chinese stocks and the stocks in KBA trade T plus zero. So. What does that mean, T plus zero? Is that instant settlement? Instant settlement. It's one of the misnomers is that you actually can't really day trade in China because you owe the money at the end of the day for the stock you bought that day. Now, why that's a problem for MSCI is if I'm an asset manager and I need to buy China and say, sell Europe or sell US, I don't get that money until T plus two. So for index managers who have to buy and sell on the same day, China being T plus zero is actually a problem because you can't, I'm going to increase China, which means I have to raise the cash, but I don't get that cash for two days. But for China, I have to settle at the end of the day. So China is actually too fast relative to other markets.
1: Brendan, where do we send people to get your
2: daily insights? We write chinalastnight.com. So just it's a free website. You can sign up for daily or weekly. (laughs) For most people... Knowing daily is not necessary. That's a great innovation. I feel like
1: more places should do that.
2: The daily versus weekly option. I like that. Optionality. We're all for Credit it. to you. All right, what else? And then on craneshares.com you can sign up for so the blog, the blog, we don't talk about the ETF tickers. It's just more of what's happening in the market. And then for very fun specific stuff, on craneshares.com you can sign up and we always lead with the research, so it's not like you sign up for Cruncher's research; you're getting like this hard sell. It's you got to earn that trust, and if you come on with a hard sell, that turns people off. So, like, they're not gonna subscribe. <laughs> All right, Brendan, did you have fun? Uh, most importantly, I did. I did. I wish it was in person. I know Michael. I was feeling bad. I know the right. Red Hole 12th has a lot of affinity for Massapequa. <laughs> And, oh, I saw the news. I saw the news Yeah, tonight. yeah. It was too bad. The Little League team. But they did great. They did great. They did great.
1: All right. Well, listen, Brendan, we appreciate your time. Thank you so much for coming on, being a friend of the show, and we appreciate it.
2: No, my pleasure. Thank you.
0: Remember, check out Craneshares.com for all of their funds and sign up for Brendan's newsletter and send us an email at animalsbearspot at gmail.com.